0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode. My name is Hans. I'm Edward. And we are your hosts for now and forevermore. In today's episode, Edward and I are going to be talking about a topic that is somewhat close to our hearts. And the only reason why is because we are what we would like to think are seasoned journalists within the tech and gaming field in this sense i have classical training in this from a degree perspective and so does edward and we've both been working in the field for over a decade now in with this in mind this episode is going to be looking specifically at ethics when it comes to journalism, particularly within the video game and tech spaces. I mean, of course, this could apply to journalism in general, but uh, given the fields that we are most proficient in or we have the most experience in, these are the fields in which we will be talking with reference to the ethical dilemma that often surrounds publications and media and journalists within these particular fields. Now, Edward and I have, on several occasions, alluded to ethics within the field of video games and tech journalism within previous episodes. However, yeah. we've, we haven't we have really taken the time to really unpack the topic and mm. talk about actual experience and, you know, the things that we've been privy to, which on many occasions have been quite dastardly, well... Today is the day where we speak about most of these, if not all. Um, uh, we then... will give you context. <laughs> we will we will mention as much as we can without trying to offend those out there. However, with that said, if the shoe fits, there's not much we can do about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We might burn some bridges, but oh well. You again... know, what, Edward. At this point in time, at the end if of that the day, is the it's... case, that is really going to be their problem because that's the thing. With all due respect, you know, this particular episode is not born out of um, any particular incident or anything like that. It's more along the lines of where, you know, we consistently are in the field. And so mm-hmm. we speak to people within the industry and we see the, the ongoings of what is happening and, you know, how people handle certain things. And we consistently see how there is a distinct lack of ethical recalls or yeah. uh, you know within what people do whether it's content that they produce or disclosing relationships or uh, sponsorships etc cetera, etc cetera, it goes a very long way to why are they not disclosing what are the issues here mm. uh you know when they really should be because without the right disclosure you are being disingenuous to your audience. However, yeah. there's more than just disclosure. So disclosure is only one part of it. The other part of it, of course, has to do with ethics in terms of the validity of your content and whether or not it causes harm to people. So that's something else that we will be touching ever so slightly upon as well in this episode. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been I've created a very long-winded uh, intro, Edward. Is there anything yeah. that you want to... Before we get into the... The, the, the i want to say the meat and potatoes and you know i just like that expression but before we the get into there <laughs> the, we <go. laughs> the, the nitty-gritty of it all what would you like to add you know in particular from you you know how you feel about this and maybe just elaborating a little bit more on what i've already said
1: it's just gross um the, the the thing about about it is that what irks me the most is the fact that people don't disclose like do what you need to do um, and I mean, at the end of the day, we all got to pay the bills, you know? Well, look, the um, grind is real and, and
0: for, for most influencers and institutions. You know, without yeah. ad space, you don't really earn enough to pay your own wages or the wages of those who write for you. Exactly, uh, It is a, a, a little bit of a point of contention with us and with Vemus because we actually have for the longest period of time chosen to not allow advertising space. We do on occasion. But of course, when that happens, we fully disclose in every exactly. single post. There's a, there's a there's a link. But anyway, before I elaborate, let's.
1: yeah, uh, and, uh, and all of that, it basically comes down to the fact that it, it's become the norm more so than anything else. And I think that's what's, what's been causing this buildup and this tension between us and what we think. I think, and- you know,
0: I think one of the biggest issues is that some of the, the, the larger proponents of, of ethics have fallen by the wayside, meaning yeah. where we've seen a lot of people, whether part of um, media institutions or individual influences, where they have previously spearheaded the ethical movement. You know, they want disclosure. They want to ensure the content that they produce is not harmful Mm -hmm. to the masses and so on and so forth. However, over time, you end up seeing that a lot of things slip through the cracks. And the Mm -hmm. thing is, that then makes these people hypocrites. Because if you truly believed in the ethical statements you once say you abided to, or you previously preached, to then fall through those cracks, fine, you know, everybody's human. Everybody is. You know, mm. but when this starts happening on a more frequent basis, to the point where your seeming lack of disco- disclosure results in you having to then say this is not sponsored, that's a problem. Yes, because you shouldn't have to. Uh, what what is the word? You shouldn't have to um, substantiate what you're saying or, or justify, what you're doing. Yeah. You're justified. That you you, don't, you shouldn't be giving justification. Because your audience can't tell if it's sponsored or not. That's the exactly. issue here. There should never be questions, so there should never mm. be need for justification. That's my personal. Well, I mean, that's how I view it in in many respects. Yeah. Um. So, you know what? Let's let's look at ourselves, Edward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> before before we start looking at other institutions and in media, look the and let's let's yes, look in the mirror. Let's look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. So for the longest period of time we've abided to an ethical code of conduct in particular with famous.com but that code of conduct applies to everything that we do whether it's uh, the Gettle podcast for writing for reviews and so on and so forth we've we abided to that before we even made it public but several years ago now we decided well let's actually put it out there so instead of people assuming that we were you know producing content under some sort of an ethical guise, we decided, okay, let's actually put it out there for all to mm. read and see so you know where what our stances are. And I believe that that's worked quite well. Now, with that said, and admittedly, our code of conduct can use some sprucing up. Um, in particular, at yeah. the start of this episode, I mentioned how, you know, ethics are not just disclosure. It's not just, mm. are you receiving compensation for whatever it is that you're producing or creating or or doing. It's also having an ethical responsibility to ensure that whoever is consuming your content is consuming the most accurate version of the content that you can produce with sources that are legitimate and will not incite violence or or unnecessary violence or unnecessary (laughs) harsh opinions to purposefully harm other people yeah so truthfully we will update our ethical code of conduct to add those things in because even though we we already do it our failing here was not having it publicly available so yeah. where our ethical statements, in my personal opinion, are still pretty decent, they were not comprehensive enough. Edward and I know this. And what's interesting is, although we abide to them ourselves, we feel it's important that for people who who consume our content that you understand where we're coming from. So instead yeah. of us assuming you understand, we want you to know that we, where we're coming from so that you can better understand us. Yeah, that's it?
1: the thing. It It's very much a case of tooting I, I, I'm going to say my <coughs> own horn um, because I want, I don't want to speak to you, but um, I pride myself in the fact that we have this policy even yes. available. And I feel like it's the, one of the most comprehensive locally and in the industry. Um,
0: and and okay, so that's
1: kind of sad to me.
0: Y- yeah, you, you know? bring up... Okay, so this is where we can start looking at other institutions. Right? Mm. Uh, or, mm. or, or I'm going to just say institutions. And when I say that, I mean everybody from influencers to media publications yeah. to um, you know uh, any business brand. It doesn't even have to be a brand, it can also be freelancers, all right? Because you must understand mm. everyone who who produces content and is paid for it on some in some level needs to have an ethical responsibility for whatever whatever mm. it is that they're creating. All right. Doesn't matter what yeah, it is yeah. exactly, right? So Edward brings up a point here. Now, again, it's not to toot our own horns here, right? But Mm. we are one of the only sites within the country in which we live that actually has a publicly available ethical statement with how content is produced, uh, what happens if content is paid for, and what is the purpose of the content, and whether or not, you know, how we choose to make sure the content is of a high quality, that is well-researched, and that Mm. doesn't incite Uh, you know, violence, et cetera, and so on and so forth, all right? Yeah. Even if we didn't have one that was all-encompassing like that, even if it was just a basic one of how we do disclosure, Hmm. we are still one of the only institutions, not just locally, but internationally, that has a publicly available ethical code of conduct, not just a statement, but a code of conduct. Yeah. Now, what's fascinating to us about that is how we often will see publications producing content without disclosure. Now, part of me wants to say that's their prerogative. But in the grand scheme of things, as a journalist, it is our responsibility to ensure that whatever content you are consuming, okay, has adequate disclosure and has been well researched and so on and so forth that is journalistic integrity and responsibility it's not just a oh i'm going to produce this thing so what right now there can be a case for how most people are not journalists all right or at least not classically trained journalists and For all intents intents and purposes of the term journalist, it's generally referred to somebody who works in a news organization, right? Mm. Um, To expand the point a bit more, it's not necessarily somebody who just sits behind a desk, but it's somebody who does investigative reporting. That is the common perception of what a journalist is, okay? Somebody who goes out there, gets the facts, um, writes a story that is, you know, factually based and so on and so forth, and then reports it to the public. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is when you look at the different industries as a whole, and in particular here, the gaming and tech industries, there is a large proponent of websites and institutions which border on enthusiast writing. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, in that sense, to a degree it is understandable that those kinds of institutions or places or writers may not have the knowledge to understand what it means to be a journalist, because they're just approaching it from an enthusiast perspective. Now, that's all fine and well for somebody who's starting off, all right? Somebody who's still learning the ropes. You don't know any better, so you figure, okay, let me see how this goes. Now, I was like that once upon a time when I started VAMOS. Okay, yes and no. <laughs> yes, I was <laughs> like that once upon a time when I started vames in 2011. Perhaps the difference is that I had classical training and what it, it it means to be a communication specialist and journalist because of the degrees which I held at the time. Mm. So when I started vames I started it off with a, um, a particular style guide and ethical code of conduct, which... Um, Edward's one of my uh, longest companions in this endeavor and he knows that right from the very beginning I was very upfront and clear about how we disclose things, how things have to work, et cetera, et cetera. Even if back in that, in that time, it wasn't publicly available. Yeah. So perhaps uh, there are many other people like me as well who have a bit of an edge and then go into an industry and do things formally and for the better and then come out with something that works or successful. But then again, at the same time, there are many that don't. Now, I'm I'm not trying to say all of this as a means of forgiving these people it's more along the lines of everybody has to start somewhere and to an extent you can offer a little bit of uh, compassion to those who don't know any better right Mm -hmm. however i feel if you've been in this industry for a year two or two years or longer that no longer becomes an allowable offense if you have been doing this whether it is um you know, as part of an institution or as an influencer or as a freelance uh, writer, whatever the case may be, if you've been doing it for a certain period of time, and I would say at least two years, you should, at, by that point in time, know better than to, for example, accept product or monetary gain for something and not disclose it. Exactly. That's my personal opinion. Edward, uh, would you like? No, to, no. How do, you, do you feel the same?
1: I fully feel the same. Um, I also feel that, Uh, while we can excuse someone for being an amateur writer for like a year or so um it it should also be mentioned that if you work for a publication uh, a particularly larger publication Mm. you should right from the get-go um be taught this um if not even enforced on it
0: that is Um, an excellent point so Edward is talking about the much larger publications like The Verge and Engadget Mm. and IGN, mostly American publications, or even some UK and Australian ones or whatever else there are around the world. With that said, I would like to even throw VAMAS into that equation. And the reason why is because we've been doing this since 2011. So the publication has been available for over a decade. If we were still not abiding to some form of code of ethics after 10 years of being in this industry, then we should not rightfully be allowed to continue doing what we're doing. Now, unfortunately exactly. the internet will allow anyone to keep doing whatever they're doing. There's no real, uh, <laughs> but that is actually a point of contention for a lot of um, journalistic entities around the globe, especially yeah. uh, is that there isn't really a sort of governing body. I mean, there is a governing body for for news journalists, people who, you know, go out into the streets and report on the hard-hitting stuff like murders and and rapes and, you know, things like that. But there isn't really anything for the much smaller spheres of influence like tech and gaming, for example. Now, of course, it's implied that you abide to the same uh, ethical rules and regulations and guidelines, but so many don't. And now what's interesting about this is this brings me to something called GamerGate. Now, v- Edward and I actually somehow totally missed Gamergate. Um, how we're not entirely sure, but I think it's because at the time when Vayner started, it was the the industry was so small in South Africa that you know no one. Re- I mean, people knew about what was happening abroad, but there were there was it was so small in SA that it didn't really impact us yet. Now, yeah. what I mean by that is, is Gamergate abroad was this huge. Um, Uh, This huge issue whereby there were these companies that outright came out and said that no, there are these people that are being unethical, these institutions are being unethical, and so on and so forth. But the real ironic twist about the entire situation was how the people behind Gamergate were themselves unethical in the entire process. So the reason why Gamergate today is such a fantastic case study in ethics in terms of video games and tech journalism is because of how careful you have to be with whom you trust and the media you consume and how trustworthy it may be. And Mm -hmm. this is purely because if you looked at it at the time, what was happening was is essentially it was just a few disgruntled individuals who are now attacking other people purely because they were jealous of the content that they were producing. That's really what it ended up being. In the, if you really have to break it down, right? Is that yeah. Uh, the, we were talking about a decade ago where we had far less diversity in every aspect of life. And essentially what was happening is here is we had a, a bunch of um, silly narrow-minded white men who were deciding that they were going to attack people of color and different genders because they didn't know any better. That's essentially the the crux of Gamersgate, um, and in in that scenario, certain websites benefited from from it, and we're not going to mention them because they don't deserve any more of a platform. Um, and it, it it was a problem that really brought to light the 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 idea of enthusiasm enthusiasm uh, journalism based out of enthusiasm. <laughs> That's right. And then people who do it professionally for a living. Yeah. And you know, it's an interesting thing for us because our website and eventually now today we have a podcast was born out of enthusiasm. And I personally believe many things should be born out of enthusiasm because you should do what you love as much as possible. But it's one thing to do what you love. It's another thing to do what you love and then hurt people around you or groups or whatever the case is. And then to, produce content that you love but in an unethical way whereby that meaning that your audience can't actually tell whether or not what you're doing is paid for or legitimate or biased or skewed and you know in many respects everything we're speaking about now could actually be applied to just the news cycle in general and how people in general need to be really careful of the news that they consume. Um, but that's a that's a totally different topic, <laughs> for for, <laughs> uh, for 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 the most part. Now, Edward, I know um, mm-hmm. that you have a really incredible example of why it's so important to have ethical codes of conduct and statements in terms yeah. of how you know whether people are employed in, in an entity or whether you work alone and so on and so forth, and why people need to abide to things like that, and why that should be publicly available. So would you care to take us through it? Yeah, so basically
1: this this whole debate essentially goes back all the way to to right right on top of gamer's gate actually. Um to 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 now that I think think about it. Um one of the biggest um and most gross, I guess, is is the term examples of of Ethics, uh, journalistic ethics going out the window is.
0: You mean like violation, right? Yeah.
1: Violation, yeah. It it is essentially when Machinima um, was found to to be not disclosing any of their ad campaigns. In particular, was one um, with. um, For for the Xbox One, back when that originally came out. Uh, 2013. Um, <laughs> yeah uh, and oh, that's, a that's it called... that's literally Gamersgate,
0: as you mentioned that's, that that's literally just the start yeah yes yes, yes. Uh,
1: and a company called starcom media vest group which is basically the pr firm um, xbox global used to to get to get the word out now now in terms of starcom they did nothing wrong they just gave machinima a bunch of money and machinima promised them 90 million views were for all of their ads okay so what Machinima ended up doing is they went to all of their different tiers of influencers and creators and publications, and they say, "Oh, for, for those who don't know, Machinima is called uh, is what is called a media um, an MSN a, a media network." So okay. they had a bunch of creators and influencers under their umbrella. Oh, essentially. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, so so they told them, "We'll pay you five cents." Or whatever it is, uh, um, for for every video you, uh, for every view on videos that you put this code on, and and it was a a string of it was little, uh, literally random number codes. I I don't know what they mean. I'm not a developer myself. Yes. Um. But but what they had to do is add this code to the description boxes of all of their videos, and then for uh, it was some kind of way to 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 count views um in a bit in a way that google does not okay um and all the creators people started to see like what does this mean and it was all on xbox uh, pro xbox videos um for random creators some creators even got paid one dollar per view wow. um, so and okay. that's what made this so gross and the thing is machinima did not require any of these people, whether the influencer company Mm -hmm. creator, to disclose that they were being paid or that it was an endorsement at all. Um, and only very, very few creators. Um, I recall, um, Funhouse or what, what used to be Rooster Teeth. Sorry. Um, I recall they had issues with this because they used to be a machine of a partner back then. Um, and that's when basically it blew up and the FTC got hold of it. Wow. And it was a whole issue until the end of 2015 where they finally settled with the FTC.
0: See, what's what's Um, sad about that mm. is, first of all, how long it took to be uncovered. Yeah. And secondly, the fact that uh, that they needed such a large organization to step in Mm. to expose it is uh, mind-boggling, actually, if you think about it. Because this is a very... This is such a simple. It's such a simple thing to disclose. Just mm. this video Just is so paid for. This is That's an it. ad. This yeah. is an ad. It's that it's that simple. You know? It's actually I actually saw something interesting the other day. Um mm-hmm. I noticed how I've certain creators, YouTube creators, and big ones out there, don't utilize the there is promotional content in this video option when creating a video Mm. now as a creator i understand this a little bit i get it because the wording is a little bit obtuse because Mm. it it implies that you're being paid for what you're producing but what then does that payment mean is that a physical payment is it payment in lieu of something is Is it it being given something is it goods so I saw a very interesting discussion between some very big YouTube creators. Anybody who follows Renee Ritchie, you you can find what I'm talking about here. Um, Where one of these creators was talking about how he often didn't put that in his videos because he didn't feel that what he was being given or paid for, whatever, fell under those bylines. Mm. I still remember just looking at that and being like, actually, actually, it kind of does. Yeah, so, like, where do you draw the line? So I'm of the opinion that anything you are given, anything, mm. whether it's a free cap to keep or um, they pay you for a spot or they give you an actual product or whatever the case is, if it's something like that, they should be full on disclosure. Yeah. And you know, if it's something like video content, you tick that YouTube box. Sure, yeah. people who watch the video will think because it says sponsored content that you've been paid, but it doesn't matter. You have essentially in some way. Now, See, the only time I, I I would say that it's it's okay to not tick that box is if there is uncertainty in whether or not something you've been given will inevitably be yours. Now, I will speak from personal experience. Sorry, Edward, didn't mean to cut you off. We'll, we'll get back no, to you in no, a it's second. all good. All good. When I uh received i received a product from it was logitech about three years ago and i reviewed it under the pretense of they take the product back that's because that's generally how this works you receive a product for a certain period of time you send the product back so in that sense the only disclosure that is needed is that this was a review unit and you've sent it back which uh, we do in all of our content, regardless of yes. whether it's a video game review or a physical review, or I produce a video. I always stipulate in the description or something somewhere that, oh, I got this for review and um, that was it right now. And that's in that particular instance, what happened was I was fully under the impression it was going to go back. So I c- produced content, created content, and I just mentioned that it would go back. It never did go back now. That's not to say, like, what I mean by that is I was under the full on impression that it was going to go back. I packaged it up and I no longer use the product after my review period ended. And I would send an email saying, You are welcome to collect this at your earliest convenience. That's how the process works. Uh, I do remember it was over the holiday period. So I just figured, Oh, you know, they're not available. So, you know, maybe in the new year they'll pick it up or whatever the case is. So for about a month and a half, it just sat in my study. And then eventually I emailed again and they were like, oh no, we've decided you can keep it. And then, you know, part of me was like, well, that's not really great. Uh, You know, that's not really great because I've produced stuff under the guise of uh, it having going back, right? And I was honest about that at the time, obviously, because that is what the case was. Mm -hmm. Long, Long story short, when that happened, I actually went back to my content and edited in that the product was now kept. But, you know, in that sense, sure, that doesn't happen to everyone. But in that sense, um, you know, I was as honest as I could be. And, you know, given how the the terms had changed at a later stage it's not really, that wasn't my fault. At least, though, I did go back to change the content and to add the spoiler, uh, the, the sponsored tag and the, you know, the disclosure that I actually ended up keeping the product and so on and so forth. And of course, See, but- it didn't really change my views because I wasn't expecting to keep it to begin with
1: exactly see that's the thing as long as you produce your content under the guise that or, or under the, the the impression that you will that, that it's normal stock procedure then i i don't think it's an issue that two months on you, you were told oh no by the way you can keep it it's fine we don't need it anymore the the review process has ended yes um if if you're told that two months on at least you know that that the content that you did create on the on, on, at
0: Originally the time. was under the right terms and conditions. What? Exactly. Yes, yes. I understand So, that. so I don't feel that's wrong at all. I can tell you where there is a problem. Okay. Now, f- this doesn't apply to myself and Edward at all. And that is that, point blank, we refuse to produce, review content for any form of payment. Okay that includes being gifted stuff however Mm -hmm. if something is gifted and we have to do a review on it we will absolutely disclose that because you know there are very it's very rare there are very rare circumstances where you're actually given something to keep for long term Um, and it's important i feel that your audience knows that you were actually given that so um, they need to take into consideration for whatever review you're putting out there. You know, just now it's mm-hmm. super glowing, but like they gave you the product. So, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, there can be a bit of a, an ethical, you know, fine line there that you could be crossing. Yeah. With that said, with that said, and this is a big part of, of this discussion, is how there are many institutions out there that will accept a product for review for nothing. Uh, not not, mm-hmm. not to keep, not to keep. Let's assume a review unit, okay? They take it, they write the review, they produce a video and they send it back. But then mm-hmm. they charge for the rev- review video. Yeah. Because that's so, con- you, to me, that, that, that purposefully muddies the water. Yes. Because although you could argue, oh, well, you know, video production is a lot of work. And it is. As somebody who who has done this and wants to do this, possibly for a living in the future, it is a lot of work. It really, yeah. really is. But if I'm being paid for the review, then how do I separate the payment for the work versus the payment for my opinion? Exactly. You see, like that's I... where it like, really muddies things up.
1: Because at the end of the day, especially if let's say you've you've, as we do this, we we build relationships with the PR companies and all the yes, companies that yes. send us stuff um, for review. So, you start falling into habits. You start falling into into um, ways of doing things. So so we're used to every quarter we'll get a bunch of new Logitech products, we'll review it and we'll send it back. And we know what to expect plus minus every single time. And it's the same with all companies. So let's Mm. say you're used to a company who send you stuff and they just never ask for it back. Um, But we then, let's say it's us now. Mm -hmm. I'll create the the written review and Hans will create the the, Video um, video review. Yeah. Okay. The moment we expect payment with... With the the f- foreknowledge of of knowing that we'll ask payment for this the video content, how do we then split that up and tell rightfully, ethically, tell our viewers, mm. oh no, we never expected payment for the written stuff in the first place?
0: It just can't. So, what I would like to say about this is I've actually seen how the bigger publications do it. Mm. And in this sense, I've seen... Now, I don't have knowledge of whether IGN gets paid for video content or not, all right? Mm. But what I've seen them do is they will, they will get person A to do the written review of the game. Mm. Then they will get person B and C to film and record a video. So, person Mm. B and C have nothing to do with person A who actually did the review. B and C purely put the video together. Yeah. Now, that can't happen in smaller publications like us, okay? Yeah. If money comes into this publication, it's it's Edward and I, and there's like one or two other um, uh, writers who are not on the main payroll, but it's just Edward and myself, right? Now, if Edward is reviewing something and somebody's paying us for a video, which, as I've mentioned before, we don't do that. But let's assume yeah. in this scenario, this is what was happening. It would be very difficult for Edward and I to produce something without knowing the money is influencing us because the money is going directly into the business, which is us. Right. Exactly. Now, for a large publication, I can almost understand why that's okay to do in the sense of person A reviews the content person a gets paid a salary person a gets nothing extra from from any other money coming in for let's say a video review because that now Mm -hmm. being handled by persons uh, b and c who have nothing to do with person a and they're in different department and they're just using person a's content to create the video in that scenario i could possibly understand why allowing a uh, hardware manufacturer or developer whatever the case is to pay for a video review because mm. all that's happening here is you're getting a published review, right? But then a completely separate department is putting the video together. And of course, because it's a different department, there are different costs involved, they deserve uh, to be paid, I suppose, right? Yeah. So in that respect, I can, I can kind of understand the logic behind paying for something extra. Mm. On the other end of the coin, I still vehemently feel that anything that is review-related should not be compensated for, specifically from a monetary perspective. It's, you know, sure, if a product comes in, it needs to be disclosed. You know, if the company doesn't take back the product, there's not really much you can do about that, right? But Mm. at least disclose it, all right? Um, You know, an interesting thing about that, for example, is video game reviews. Uh, 99% of the time, the publisher lets you keep the code because that's just the nature of the industry now you know in that respect you have to think to yourself well then how do you how do you try and keep it as unbiased as possible now for for us at vaymas we have mentioned this before um we have a singular account that we redeem 90 percent of our games to with this with the small exception of if you know, uh, there's a particular code that's only available for a certain service. And anyway, anyway I don't want to get into too much the minutiae of it all. But we have a, a single account that is essentially separate from those who review the titles. So that way, the person who's reviewing the title doesn't actually own the game. Yes. And we feel that in that respect, you're sort of taking away the bias from uh, the review process.
1: Mm. And, and Yeah? And even then, at the end of the day, all you can do for code because that's just how it's not even how the industry works. It's just how code works. Uh, you, yeah. you have to redeem it to a account, and um, well, so you can't the, the, the get backseas are...
0: on it. Uh, yeah, um, but back back in the day when they did do physical code, there were times where we had to give stuff back. Yeah, you know, you'd and, get sent a disc and you'd send the disc back. Like I mean, that's fine. Uh, that's how it worked.
1: Uh, but but I mean, we live even... in
0: a day and age now where digital is first. So it's just much yeah. easier to send you a code. That's it. Uh, and you...
1: and when that happens, all you can really do is just make sure people know you've disclosed. Yes. I still now, feel it's the one yeah, thing.
0: Look, but but look, this is a very small thing. You know, getting a code for a game, as long as you're mentioning that you received the code, it, that's about it. It's not yeah, necessarily payment. It's anything. not in lieu of because This is not... How else do you play the product? It's the only way to do it. Okay. It's different when somebody, for example, sends you a laptop. Okay. And they're like, please review this. And then they're like, okay, please do a video of it and we'll pay you a certain sum of money for the video review as well. Mm. You know, if that's the case and you're part of a small organization where you don't have the resources like IGN or The Verge where you can split things up wholly and then you can actually abide fully to your ethical code of conduct or statement of intent or whatever the case may be, then is that really a source you can trust? That's a big question. That's my big question. That's our big mm. question is if people are not disclosing that they're being paid for content that they're producing, okay, even if they have the best of intentions, the fact that there's lack of disclosure, what does that mean to you as the end user? You know? Is it really, it's not, a, it's not a good thing. I'm sorry, it's just not. You, you, yeah. you, you should be told, you need to be informed. Uh, essentially, my, my biggest thing here is if you like reading or consuming content, whether it's a, fa- a YouTube creator or some sort of media institution, Google the name of that person or company and ethics and see what pops up. If they don't have a publicly available ethical statement, all right, then there should be some cause for concern. Now, with that said, that's also not to mean that, you know, somebody can easily also have an ethical statement and just not do it, right? Just Mm -hmm. because they've got one doesn't mean they're actually um, abiding to it. And I suppose that's where it just comes down to hoping that the person that you're following is going to be honest about it or trying to see if the content is inevitably skewed. Because truth be told people who accept payment for things will often skew content towards a more positive light. That's just the way that it is. You know, um, a, great, a really good discussion around this actually uh, happened a couple of months back between MKBHD and Mr. Who's the Boss, where, mm. although it wasn't about ethics per se, it had to do with embargoes. Now, embargoes in the tech and gaming industry can be very intense i mean we're talking about like you get a game and the embargo is like 48 hours later and you know you are expected to meet the embargo and if you don't meet the embargo then what happens is is you miss out on the news cycle and if you miss out on the news cycle it means that you miss out on gaining hits to your site and the less hits you have the less impressive your website looks because everybody asks for stats Uh, Google Analytics stats and without those stats you can't continue to work in this industry Mm. so it's a bit of a ethical conundrum then because now you have a 200-hour game that they want you to squeeze into 48 hours for example okay now we personally don't do that we outright tell a lot of media publications that we need a certain amount of time for a game and that's about it There are certain circumstances, okay, where we will look at the title, we will, and we will then decide between ourselves: is this achievable? And if it is, we will crunch, okay. But now that's our own personal choice. It's not something. It's not that we crunch for everything. We we take it as a case by case basis, and we decide whether it's worth doing or not. Um, But then again, of course, that doesn't really influence the um, the overall outcome of the review. At least, not all the time. So what I want to mention, this is a side note now. This has got nothing to do with, uh, you know, the unethical things or whatever the case is or ethics. I've noticed that in the past, when we've been given, let's say a week to two weeks to review a title,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we will do it, we will end up with a score, and generally that's the end of it. However, yeah. however, I have also noticed that a lot of the times longevity of a title is never taken into consideration. Yeah. And that's because you crammed it for two weeks, gave your initial reaction or your score, but then were you still playing it two months later? Now, you know, obviously for first person, uh, for games with linear stories, you know, that are very he- narrative, heavy driven, it, that's to be expected. Mm. But there are a lot of titles out there that are absolutely massive. And how much of the title can you actually get in within a certain period of time? And then even if you do, what is the longevity of that title, right? And and not just that, but you also get that honeymoon period, you know, like yes. Oh, I yes.
1: really love this game. I'm gonna obsess over this game for two weeks, and I'm gonna give it a great score. Let's <laughs> uh, a good example. Um, I would say is Reddit Redemption Two, amazing game. Still, I have nothing against the game. Um, but I will say as much as i loved the game then both its longevity and its uh, the the overall feel around the game it diminishes starkly that's um, a, that's in, actually very in interesting two to 3 weeks
0: because you know? i would have thought that that's a game with a lot of longevity because there's so much to do mm. what's interesting is i have a i have another example for a title yeah. and mine is phoenix rising from ubisoft oh yes so that's a good one that game we we played oh, that i'd say a good month three three to yeah. four weeks right um edward wrote the review uh we both thoroughly enjoyed it and we stand by the score we gave it but mm-hmm. after that four week period it's kind of forgotten didn't go back yeah <laughs> so now but but now, okay this is a whole this is a discussion i guess a wholly different discussion you know what should criteria really be for reviewing a video game which is not the purpose mm-hmm. of today's discussion today is just about yeah. whomever you are consuming content from please look into their disclosure practices yeah it is important for you as a listener or watcher of content to know whether what you're consuming is truly to your benefit or if it's being un- if it's being biased and one-sided because of some form of gain in the background that you're not aware of. Mm. And, you know, I don't want to exclude, I don't want to excuse, sorry, smaller creators because I firmly believe everybody needs to abide to this. Everybody needs to have some inkling of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, you know, say no to this company, which we have done a numerous times. Um, as a matter of fact, we've actually been put on some blacklists because we refuse to, it's two things, uh, to not put in a, um, a, a do follow link. So it's where the company was like, okay, well, if you review this product, we want you to link to our website and then we'll pay you for it. And then two is just paid for reviews in general. It is, I purposefully believe that it's supremely unethical, especially if it's not disclosed. It is also, I'm also of the opinion where it's not good enough to say that you didn't accept, uh, you know, money or product, whatever for your written review, but you did for your video review because the video review takes a lot of work to do. No, Mm. you're still accepting money for producing something that is essentially a review. Because somebody who watches your review on YouTube may not be somebody who reads your review. But now you've accepted money to produce that video for YouTube. And that therefore means how can anyone actually take your opinion for a legitimate one and not a paid for one? Mm you know and if that is the case if it is the case that 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 you are taking money for it just disclose it's very simple it can just be a simple thing of this written review there there was no gain for it but we did accept money to produce the video version of it so be it at least then your audience knows okay and this uh yeah and that's what just one of many things it's it's Disclosure, disclosure, disclosure and creating content that is not harmful and is as accurate as possible with sources that are legitimate and don't purposefully harm anyone.
1: Yeah. Just be mindful of the content you consume.
0: That's actually a lovely way of putting it, Edward. Be mindful. Be mindful Mm -hmm. of how your content is going to be consumed and the way that people interpret it. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have your... Ethical integrity, what do you really have? Money, I suppose. (laughs) Money in the bank. That's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. Riches. (laughs) Yeah. Makes you walk around. Uh, uh... (laughs) Well, as always, uh, we would love your opinion on the matter. How do you feel about this? Are we just uh talking absolute nonsense which i believe we are not uh how do you feel about do you care about disclosure at all do you feel that it's it's necessary unnecessary are we overreacting here which i don't personally believe we are because i think we've had a, a fairly decent just talk about uh you know the importance of why there should be ethical statements ethical procedures in place Um, You should know how the content you're consuming is being produced and whether or not it's been paid for because if you can't trust the opinion of whatever it is you're consuming, then um, you know how do you not know you're being played? That's really it at the end of the day. That's the thing. That's a good question. That's that's a
1: nice way of putting it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, there we go. That is the end of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether it was listening or watching. If you enjoyed We would love for you to like, subscribe, and share. And until our next episode, ciao for now. Bye.